Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, Tara. Good morning. Good morning, Tara. It's good to see you all. It's good to see you. <laughs> Hi, DJ. It's good to see you all. And yeah, it's just great to worship together. You are missed when you're not here. And I'm just glad to open up God's word and to praise and worship God when we feel like it and when we don't feel like it to praise him with our lives, to praise him this morning. I'm going to get right to the main idea of Psalm 24. Here it is. The sovereign and glorious king calls us to himself. The sovereign and glorious king calls us to himself. Do you see that in Psalm 24? So here's the direction. First, we see the sovereign king in verses 1 through 2. Sovereign in that... He is in complete control. He owns everything. He's the possessor of everything and everyone, and he is all authority, the sovereign king in verses 1 through 2. But he's not just the sovereign king. He's not just in control and owns everything. Fortunately, he's a glorious king, and we see that in verses 7 through 10. He is beautiful. And then we're going to end with, how do we approach? How do we get near? How do we get into the presence of this sovereign and glorious king. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 10 to talk about that. The sovereign and glorious king calls us to himself. Take a look, take a look at verses 1 through 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and has established it upon the rivers. Sovereign King. I wrote a poem based on these first two verses that I'm going to read to you. And I also it got a little carried away and it bled out into some of the other verses as well. But here it is. Your possession, all that these fingers have touched, these ears have heard, these eyes have seen, your possession. Every providence and parcel of land every protostar and planet, every place, your possession. Every country, every county, every crevice, every creature and cell, your possession. Though your sovereign rule mankind attempts to lessen, 
choosing repression, diverting attention, manifesting rejection without exception. We all have sin's infection, Adam's transgression, yet we are your possession. The thought of it, belonging to you, once brought fear or apathy or dread. We thought ourselves kings and queens of this life, not knowing we were dead. Yet your intention has always been resurrection. Through your life, death, and ascension, you created us anew, your possession. We now wholeheartedly embrace your eternal grace. This is your world, your people, your possession. With one voice, we implore your arrival. We await your return with a longing affection. And when that day comes, know there will be a procession. Be lifted up, O ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. God's possession. Verses one and two here tell us, David reminds us, God owns everything and every one. Some may listen to verse one and two and it says God owns the earth and everything in it and their response might be, and maybe your response is or used to be, you own the earth, God? Great, I'm gonna go somewhere else. How about Mars? Let's colonize that. I don't want to be here if God owns it. Maybe that's you, or maybe that's what you used to believe. But the truth is, even if we do get to Mars, which would be pretty cool, actually, I think, God still owns that as well. We heard Psalm 8 read a little earlier. It reminds us that God spread out the heavens, and they are the works of his fingers. He didn't even have to exert power or a muscle, it's like an artist, a designer, created all of the heavens and every planet there is. The earth and the universe are gods. Some hear that and they don't like it. Some hear that and maybe they say, okay, God can have the earth, he can have all the stuff in it, he can even have the people, but not me. He can't have me, I'm in control of my life. I'll decide my fate. For those of us that who know Jesus and who continue to learn as pilgrims and followers of Christ, we see more and more the beauty of Christ. We can say more freely and more emphatically, I'm glad that he owns me. I'm glad that this God possesses me, that I'm his, that we're no longer our our own, but we have been bought with a price, Peter says. And that price was the precious blood of the lamb, Jesus' blood. We're his. And the more we learn about him, the more glad we are that that's true. That he tells me who I am. He tells me where I've come from. He tells me where I'm going. He tells me the purpose, the meaning of life. He tells me the difference between good and evil. He gives me a family, adopted me into the family of God. Thank God that we are owned If you're here and you don't believe that, and that doesn't give you joy, if you're here and you're perhaps tired of the relentless pressure to create your own identity, to figure out for yourself who you are and then scream it to the world based on something that you know is temporary and that does not give you the full satisfaction of identity, 
listen. You don't have to create an identity that's already been given. You have always been and always are his. The sovereign and glorious king calls us to himself. Fortunately, he's not just sovereign. He's not just in control and has all authority. He's also the infinitely glorious one. Verses 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Can we talk about glory our pursuit of glory, specifically, I'll give you an example from my own life, and then the king of glory. Glory, what is it? Our pursuit of glory, and then the king of glory. Glory, what is it? We've talked a bit about glory the last couple months. We had better glory in Hebrews. We talked about glory a couple Psalms ago. What is it? There's a few words for glory in the Hebrew Old Testament. The one used here is kabod. Kabod. I used to... Oh, man, I used to despise when the pastor would say, repeat after me, kabod. It's just a fun word, though. So if you want to say it, you can say it. Three, two, one, kabod. Yeah, it's a good word. Okay. So what does it mean? (laughs) I can't believe I did that. All right. It means worth or splendor or brightness or honor or abundant riches. Are you getting an idea of what kabod, what glory is? Worth, splendor, brightness, honor, abundant riches. And it also means weightiness. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Some of you have no idea. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, it says that this man named Eli was 98 years old. And when he heard some really bad news, he fell off of his chair and he died. And it says he died because he was kabed, a root from the word kabod. It means heavy. He was 98 years old and he was very much overweight. And when he fell off his chair, he died because he was weighty. Same word. In C.S. Lewis's book, Weight of Glory, that's intentional, because glory and weightiness go together. And some of you know what I'm about to say. Pastor Ed, the one who planted Terra Nova and the former lead pastor, used to use this analogy quite a bit, which I really appreciated, so I'm going to share it with you. And some of you uh, have never heard this before, so here you go. Weightiness used to talk about the scientific nature of density. And what what draws other objects to itself, if you think about our solar system, the reason that our planets are drawn towards the sun and orbit around it is because of the weightiness, density of the sun. We orbit around it. We're drawn to it. It's weighty. It's glorious. So the obvious question for us is, What are we orbiting our lives around? What is in the center? What are we drawn towards? What do we see as most glorious, most beautiful, most honorable, most worthy of my life? What are we orbiting around? What is at the center? Why would it not be the very king of glory? But we don't always orbit around the king of glory, do we? Certainly not before we knew the Lord, And not after, either, not always, as we're called to. I know I haven't. So let me tell you a little bit of 
a little bit of my story of glory. It's part of my, it's part of my story. And it started when I was eight years old. I was thinking about this a little bit. Like, when did that pursuit of a glory that was not God start in my life? Um, and there's, there's other examples, but here's one of the biggest ones for me. I was eight years old, and I hit my first Little League home run, right? And so I'm rounding first. I remember, I don't even think I knew exactly what was going on. I had never hit a home run before, didn't even know, like, I run all the way around. And as I'm running, I'm hearing the applause, I'm looking around, my teammates are freaking out, they're all at home plate waiting to give me high fives and smack my head, I was like, do it, and so excited, and I get to the dugout, and one of the parents, probably jokingly, but I thought it was serious, can I have your autograph? Of course you can have my autograph. Gets a ball out, I'm signing it, I'm like, this is great, you're going to be famous one day. Yes, I am. And so, all excited. But from that day on, seriously, there have been large seasons of my life where pursuing that glory was, I'm using past tense here, but stay with me, was the center of my life. That's what I wanted. And that's why it was so devastating when I lost it with an injury. Devastating. If we're devastated when we lose something, it could be a good sign that was something that had too much importance in my life. I'm gonna be a bit careful when I say this. We can be absolutely devastated when we lose a loved one, when we lo fill in the blank, you lose, you lose that job that you wanted so badly and you've been working toward. You can, you can be devastated over things. And I'm not saying pursuing a sport is in itself a bad thing. It wasn't, but I know in my heart that that had too important of a place in my life for a while. Now, I'm talking all past tense. We have to be people that don't always talk about our sin struggles in the past tense. Our testimonies continue. If I'm getting to the point where I hear when people talk about past struggles in their life, I know there's a good chance that it's still something you're dealing with in some way today. Hopefully by the grace of God it's something you've gotten a lot of victory from and you're moving closer to Christ and more away from what was at the center or whatever that issue was. Three or four days ago I had a dream. What was I doing in that dream? Playing baseball. <laughs> Rounding the base it. Whatever. You know. It's still it's something that comes up where I have to say and remember and be told and reminded, okay that's not where the glory is to be found the true glory, what needs to be the center of my life. And it's only the king of glory that can truly take our eyes, our attention, our hearts away from something lesser and onto the king of glory. We need him to do it. Notice how many times in verses 7 through 10 it says king of glory in Psalm 24. Five times. The king of glory the one of supremely incalculable worth, the most important being by far in the universe, the infinitely beautiful one, in which all that attracts us from this world emanate, they come from him, all the goodness, all the good things, all that draws us emanate from the king of glory. David emphasizes here in Psalm 24, likely during 
one of those instances where he's, where he's running from an army trying to kill him or some challenge in his life. A lot of the earlier Psalms are on that. And he's focusing on the king of glory and the power and the might of this king of glory. The one strong and mighty in battle. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. He is in charge of an angelic army. Colossians 1 tells us Jesus is the creator of everything, both seen and unseen, both visible and invisible. Those spiritual beings and all the power that they have, God is in charge. They are at his command, every single one of them. The all-powerful, glorious king. I'm going to read you a quote by Tim Keller's The Songs of Jesus about Psalm 24. He says, All money, all talent, health, power, and pleasure in the world are God's. But the greatest treasure he can give us is life in his presence. His face, not the gift of his hands, though they are welcome, is where we find the glory that other things fail to provide. Lord, you alone are the fountain of the life and love that I've looked for in other places to my misery. I want to love you for yourself alone and know your fellowship and presence. This will be a long journey and a struggle, but I commit to it. We can commit to pursuing the king of glory. But listen, we cannot do it alone. And listen, we cannot do it without the enabling power of God with us. The sovereign and glorious king calls us to himself, but how do we get to him? How do we get into the presence of God? How do we stay there? Approaching the king. Look at verses 3 through 10. So, how do we approach him? We see in verse 3, the most important question. Who will get into the presence of God? And then in verses 4 to 5, there is a mountain-sized problem to that question. And then in verses 5 through 10, we have the answer. The mountain-moving God, Jesus, gets us into the presence of God. So the most important question is verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? David's saying, who can get into the very presence of God himself? Who can get there? Who can be with him, this glorious and sovereign king? There's a lot of questions we have. There's a lot of pressing questions we might have right now in our lives that seem very important and maybe very important. But can we be reminded this morning that the most important question is probably not the one that's pressing in your mind the most right now in your life, in your present circumstances, but instead is how can we be with God? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who will stand in his holy place? Well, here's the problem, verses 4 to 5. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Are you seeing what the problem is? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Who can get there? Who can be with God? He who has clean hands, uh-oh. He who has a pure heart, uh-oh. 
He who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He who does, is not living a lie. Uh-oh. That's a problem for us. Who will stand with the holy, spotless, pure God? It's not us. Because all of us have in one way or another and still are living a lie with dirty hands and impure hearts. I just finished a book called Live, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And I definitely recommend that book. Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And he says this, this really powerful theme in the book. He says, all of us, in one way or another, I'm going to say this slowly, have taken deceitful ideas from the devil that are tailored to our disordered desires and then don't worry about it too much because it is normalized in a sinful society. Following that? That's a, that's a powerful sentence. There's a lot of truth in there. The devil gives deceitful ideas a lot of them. And they're not random. They're not random lies. They're targeted. They're tailored to us, to our desires, but not clean and pure and perfect desire. Our disordered desires. And then we embrace them and we live them. And they're normalized in the world around us. They find their home in a society that normalizes sin, and we minimize it. But the truth is, there's not one person with clean hands. There's not one person with a pure heart. There's not one person who has totally lived the truth and have loved God and neighbor with a pure heart. Nobody. So, who will stand? Who will be in the very presence of God? Who deserves his blessing? I think we know the answer, but I'm going to say it anyways. And I think the answer to that question is the same answer that's given in another verse, which I'm going to read, which I think applies well to this psalm. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. And by the grace of God, we know. And if you've never heard it before, you're about to know. The answer, who can stand in God's presence? Who can be blessed by God? Who deserves that? And who's the one who has ascended into heaven and has all control and authority and power? What is his name? What is his son's name? His name is Jesus. And he and he alone makes it possible for us to walk right into the presence of God. Not as enemies, not with sin stains all around us, though they should be there, but clean and pure and welcomed and loved. Jesus does. He's the mountain-moving God. Verses 5 through 10. 
he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. We're going to talk about how the king of glory got us into the very presence of God. And what seems to be too good to be true, all that we have to do in order to be in the presence of God. Let's start with that. What do we have to do? Well, look at verse 6. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. He tells us, seek the Lord. Seek the face of God the God of Jacob. Why does he mention Jacob here? If you all remember Pastor Jason's message during Advent, he talked about Jacob and this strange wrestling match that happens out of nowhere where this person shows up and starts wrestling with Jacob. And Jacob realizes after that wrestling match that this was no ordinary person. This was God somehow. This was what's called a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, momentarily Pivotally, and he calls that place Peniel because he saw God's face. Because he wrestled with God and he asked and he pleaded, do not leave, I will not let you go until you bless me. Until you bless me. When God blesses someone, that means he, in his mysterious way, he brings goodness into that person's life. That's what a, we say blessing a lot. Bless you, bless you, God bless you, God That's God's mysterious way of bringing goodness into our lives. And that happened by seeking God's face, by not letting go. What does he call us to do? He calls us to seek him. That's it. Seek him. Pursue him. We ask him. We simply ask, Lord, you be my Lord and my Savior. And we seek him with our lives. We seek him. How can it be that simple? How can it be that easy? It can be because of what the king of glory did. It can be because Jesus, the king of glory, gave up his glory and came to us. That's what Philippians 2 says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See what he's saying? The king of glory gave up his glory. He left heaven and he came here. And he lived and he died. And he died naked on a Roman cross. (laughs) Though he had clean hands, he made them dirty for us. Though he had a pure heart, he took on the sins of the world, our mistakes, to make us clean, to make us whole, to make it possible for us to simply seek him and be accepted and welcomed. 
so that we can anticipate and look forward to when the King of Glory comes again. And the word tells us that second coming, that second arrival, isn't going to be just like the first one. If you keep reading in Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Zechariah 14 tells us, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord, and his name the only name. That's our king. And so let's do what David did at the end of this psalm, make way for the king. Lift up, be lifted up, O ancient doors. I want to say quickly, when David wrote this, it is likely during, around the time, after the time, that he brought in the Ark of the Covenant that had been away from Jerusalem, the presence of God with his people that had departed because of their sins. And when he's bringing the Ark back in and he's dancing and he's shouting, he told the, the gatekeepers, open up the doors. The King of Glory is coming in. And we read this today, and because of Jesus, because of his life, death, resurrection, to know him, to worship him, it's not about a location. It's about the condition of our hearts. And he's telling us this morning, open up the doors of your heart, of your lives, all of it, and let the king of glory come in. Let him come in. I can't say it better than Tim Keller did. He says, say, Lord, you have loved me enough to lose all your glory for me, even though you own the whole world and everything in it. Show your glory to my heart, to my family, to my society, to this whole generation, that they may also say to you, come in, king of glory. Let the king of glory in. When he does, not just once in your life, in one prayer that you prayed, but daily say to God, Come into my heart. Come into my life. Invade this. Take over. I'm holding nothing back. It's going to change you. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect those around you. We want to let the king of glory in to our lives, to our families, the king of glory in Troy and the cities that we live in, the king of glory where you work and where you play, the king of glory in the the ministries that we do through Care Portal and Compass Care and his table. Let the king of glory in. Come in, king of glory. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we we have to confess again, Lord, that we don't always keep you at the center. Though you are the king of glory and every good thing comes from you and everything that attracts us, our hearts are attracted to, they come from you. And yet we don't always give you the praise and the honor that you are the king of glory. God, forgive us for pursuing and having something else at the center that holds us back from you. God, we pray that you come here into our church, 
into our lives, that we hold nothing back, and that we see a little bit more clearly today and in the days ahead your infinite worth, your infinite beauty. And that we can say, Lord, with one voice over and over again, open up the doors and let the King of glory come in. Amen. Amen. Dennis. One second. Okay, so we are about to celebrate communion. And before we do that, I want to talk about one other sacrament that we also follow and celebrate at Terra Nova Church, and that's baptism. So I'm going to talk about that just for a minute, and then we'll, we'll lead into communion. So we celebrate. Sacraments are invisible, are visible demonstra- demonstrations of invisible grace, right? Sacraments are visible demonstrations that we can see of invisible grace, of invisible realities that God has accomplished in us. So we celebrate communion every week at Terra, and we celebrate baptisms every year in Terra Nova Church. And I was reminded recently of some of the, the fears people may have concerning, concerning baptism, and I just wanted to address that for a second here. So in talking about pursuing the king of glory... As we do that, we realize and we want not just for, to, to listen to him and obey him out of a sense of, I have to do that, but knowing that everything he calls us, everything he commands us to do is for our good. It's for our good. And it shows ourselves and it shows the watching world the grace of God, the goodness of God in our lives and in our church. And I want to I say, if you're here and you are a believer... You're a follower of Christ. You're pursuing the king of glory. You've simply said yes to him. One of the first, arguably the very first command he gives us as Christians is to be baptized. He simply tells us to do it. And we're going to talk a lot more about what baptism is and the baptism class one month from today. But I just want to say, if you're here and you're, you're worried about talking in front of a bunch of people and you're worried about um, just taking that step of faith, just be reminded and encouraged all that God commands us to do is, is good, and it's for us. And I just want you to be encouraged in that. And then secondly, um, what was the second thing? Being baptized does not mean that you are a perfect Christian or that you've got to the point in your life where you've gotten everything together. But instead, it simply means you have said yes to the Lord. And so if that's a false perception as well, that I can only do that if I have everything lined up in my life, please know that's not the case. As I said before in talking about past sin struggles and struggles now, it's going to happen for the rest. We have indwelling sin always. And so don't think you have to have it all together to be baptized either. And so please do listen to the details of the baptism announcement coming up at the end uh, of the service today. But I wanted to mention that as well. Now we're going to transition to a time of, of communion, another chance of showing God's grace in a visible way. And we're going to call you up to, to celebrate the body and the blood of Christ that was given for, for us. Um, 
So we're going to celebrate that. If you're here and there's some, you know there's something in your life that God wants you to address, a broken relationship or a, a sin that you're deliberately pursuing and you don't want to, to address that, be sure not to take communion today and address that first. And then, Lord willing, by next week, you can do that. But we're going to celebrate in a little bit, and I appreciate um, a little extra time there. Thanks.